0: Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Hang on, I hope this works. This is for sure now What is happening? Hold on. is this? Just keep listening. You love it.
1: Oh my god, I love Christmas. I know you do. I That's do. Rough. I love Christmas.
2: Christmas.
1: What is down there playing
2: this? <laughs> Hold on, wait.
1: Like <laughs> <laughs> used to know. Wait, we're in Dee Dee's laundry again, <laughs> for those just tuning in. It's a CD. Do you have a CD? And Yep. So, Dee and I are sitting on either side of this um, <laughs> wooden table yep. and I can't see what's
0: at her feet and she can't see what's at mine. I'm but she, look she, it it's an she... old-fashioned boombox. There it is. Wow. Kirsten, can you hear that all right back in the studio? Yeah,
2: I can hear that. There.
0: Ah, <laughs> I dreamy. love Christmas. We're a week can, out. <laughs> so, in well, that's when we're recording it. This one, this will actually go to air just after Christmas Day. Okay. well, if But I just know you love Christmas. We're, I love Christmas. There's more to come. It's my favourite shit. There's other things. So, I put this on yesterday. Hang on. So I'll turn it off so we can be happy. Have I spoken about Christmas on our podcast wee- before? Wee- yes, you have. Oh, okay. How well, I we're going to do, we're gonna do it again. Okay. Bing. Off you go. I just. That's my favourite Christmas song, by the way. The air feels different different yeah people are nicer so yesterday i've got an annoying bit of hair yesterday all my hair is annoying it's basically just bunny fluff on a head (laughs) why why did they even bother putting hair on my head it's not even proper hair um yesterday bonnie's friends came over and made gingerbread biscuits now here's the science behind that so in the previous years they've got this little tradition where they buy you can buy like a pack of um Uh, Make a gingerbread gingerbread house? Yes. Yeah. But it's so difficult. And then it ends up being more decorations than gingerbread.
1: I buy a gingerbread house every year.
0: Do you like the gingerbread? The lol if Kirsten, by the way, someone in our feedbacks loves hearing you,
2: so more, more Kirsten, please. Oh, god, do you know what? That's uh, today's the worst episode for that because I brought in McDonald's, um, and I've been turning <laughs> my mic off and just like chowing down on this bacon and egg McMuffin. But I was um, about to
1: say, what did you order?
2: Yeah, bacon and egg McMuffin, but they stuffed it up, so I wanted um, two hash browns because I'm feeling a little bit dusty today, Yeah, and sure. they th- yeah, they didn't give me any hash browns, so. <gasps> Yeah, Don't that w- you
1: check before you drive away? No,
2: I should have. I wish I did. Oh
1: no I, didn't curse. Do it. I and I look like a real Karen in the in the drive thru because <laughs> they go, And that's your order and I go, Thank you and I sit there and I open it and Count check it. for everything. Check it's I, all there. Honestly,
2: yeah. that's what I fear. And I was relying on those like hash brands to bring me back to life today. Oh no! And they, they're not there. They're You're not gonna have bag. to get them on. Oh. I feel really no, you bad. Can't get them on the way home.
0: I finished work for the year, and Kirsten's my executive producer on the afternoon show, but she has to do a few more days. I feel so You've got bad. Three about more days. I know. I know. That's I know. okay. Yeah. And I know she hates me for it. I can, can just—I can tell. I can tell there's a lot of resentment there. Anyway, i You're like, houses. anyway, we've discussed your resentment. Back to the gingerbread oh, house. She's, I don't <laughs> want to open it up because I know she'll go bonkers or something. No, she would never do. You would never do that. But I don't want to, like, poke the bear. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's been a big oh, day.
2: I have. I've already suffered a loss, <laughs> not having the hash browns. So don't provoke me. Yeah, it's me. true. It's like don't mess with everything's her. Everything's going wrong. For it, it's the wrong time. to I mess just
0: want it to be three. days. Days down the track, so she can have a rest because yep. you know how you fall apart, which is what I've done, completely fallen apart. So instead of getting gingerbread houses, which a are very difficult to construct, sure. even if you put you know a can of baked beans to hold the wall while the glues, nothing works. Yeah, and then there's too many fucking things on the roof. Yeah, and then too you many can't all sorts. How do you take it to mum's house because it's oh no, fragile, it's hard to transport all of that. Yeah, so I buy it. No, no. Well, here's what they did yesterday, and it was the best. So they made, and Megan is a very good baker. Okay. I don't know what this recipe is, but I'm, I've got to get it off her. They made their own biscuits, like gingerbread. Delicious. Yeah. Why aren't I all eating the shapes. That? You will be. Don't okay. worry. They're coming in. Okay. And then they, I don't know why I took them the entire day. Like, it got to when I wanted to cook dinner for Kira and I. And oh, I was they like, were still in there. They were still there going, but that's okay. They were producing lovely smells. Okay. Beautiful biscuits. And so there are some biscuits, and I was specifically told to give some to you. So. Okay, great.
1: Yeah, I love Christmas, but I'm sad that there are some people who are going to spend Christmas in lockdown. Oh my God, the whole Sydney thing. I know. It's... I don't want them to come here.
0: No, I saw you a little. Yeah, don't. I don't. I, don't I want to
1: shut our borders
0: immediately. Tell people what you put on your Insta story. Yeah, I put two.
1: up a photo of Nicholas and I. It was a lovely photo, and I said, "You can't sit with us, especially if you're from the Northern Beaches." Yeah. We've been through our shit. I know, and and no one in the country wanted us. No, and no, true. no one. Everyone was out there living their best life, and now I want to lock the borders
0: down. Well, we can't do that every single time. I there's know. There's an outbreak. We can't. We can't. Keep, but I'll give you a tragedy. So my son Bailey is 21. He's got a beautiful girlfriend, Stephanie. They've been going out for yes. over a year, and their first ever. You know, they saved up their money. Yes. And they've got a holiday. Oh no. In Sydney. Oh no. It was the first week of January. They got an Airbnb, they booked their flights and Oh everything... first
1: week of Jan they might be okay.
0: Do you think? Maybe. Well no, that's only that's three weeks away.
1: Yeah. That's a significant amount of time.
0: Well, this was the discussion yesterday and I was I went to all mum on him, hands on hips. You are not going there. If you oh. go there you will have to quarantine when you come home. That is
1: the risk. So for people mm. that aren't from Australia in another state that borders Victoria called yeah. New South Wales, they are now having an outbreak. So in layman's terms, we were really fucked for a really long time. Yes. And then we got our <laughs> shit together and the rest of the country was laughing at us and we got our shit together and we're really good now. What are we, like it's 40 like 50, how
2: many? Yeah, something like 50? I think it's 50. I think we had like yeah, 50 consecutive 50 days. days without, yeah. you know, zero cases. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. We have worked we're so doing, hard.
1: Correct. We worked so hard. We sacrificed so much. We're killing it. Yeah. Now the state that borders ours is not having a great time.
0: And they were particularly um mean to us when we were <laughs> diseased. They wouldn't let us in, they shut the borders. Yeah. And I felt there was a tone to some of their messages. Did you? Were, yeah. Well it was like, I'll oh, get well down there, but at the same time they're looking down stay strong. At us. That's what it was. Stay strong. Yeah. I feel for them. I do feel for oh, them. Oh, it's terrible. So, yeah. But I want to shut the border. But yes, here's same. the thing with Airbnb. <laughs> Thanks, Kirsten. I appreciate it. <laughs> if you had yes, Kirsten, I had the same. She's yeah. on your side. Um, if you had booked an Airbnb before March 2020, mm-hmm. then you're somehow covered because nobody knew that was coming. If right. you've booked one after March of oh, this year. all on you. Yeah, exactly. Well, you Mm. can only – I think you're only legally entitled to 50%. Right. And it's up to the owner of the property as to whether they want to be more generous than that.
1: Right. And what I I totally forgot to say was in Australia, you now have to pay for quarantine. So if you go into hotel quarantine, it's $2,000 per person for the two weeks that you have to be in there. And there's the risk now that if you go into New South Wales, you may have to quarantine when you – yeah, Before you come back into Victoria. Well, so it's a risk. Well, they'll let
0: you, if you're coming back from there, I think they'll let you quarantine at home. But either way, the, it could escalate to that.
1: See, you can't trust fuckers to isolate at home.
0: No. no. Well, it's uh, maybe the people who think that they've got it, they might be at home. But you don't know who's coming to their home.
1: No, they go out and they touch things. Yeah. They do. But visitors come. They can't. think, oh, I'm not,
2: I'll just go up to the shops. Yeah. Get a Coke. Yeah. We've all got a bit loose with that, haven't I'll we? I'll touch everything while I'm up there. <laughs> but they're, like, super active. Like, they'll do a day's worth of activity, like, after <laughs> yeah. being tested. I'm like, what are you doing? Yes, what so about right. when you, like,
0: see the lists of where they've been? I know,
1: that guy in regional Victoria. So we had a man in regional Victoria <laughs> who, I shouldn't laugh, but he did a world tour. Of, <laughs> he did? He, went to, he
0: air, went to casinos. He went into a
1: cafe. Everything. Touching everything, sitting down where he wasn't meant to sit, like the people that don't get it really don't fucking get it. No. Anyway, thinking so of touched. people in New South Wales, but I probably more appreciated it if you didn't come into Victoria.
0: Yeah, that all sounded very mean, but it's because we've been through it. We I can't know do how it awful again. It is. No, I yeah. can't. Yeah.
1: But I am thinking of people that are locked down everywhere. Yeah. Over Christmas, it's yeah, terrible. Who goes first today? <gasps> You go first, because I'm pissed off at my printing. Look, it's double-sided.
0: Oh, I hate that <laughs> so much. Have you numbered your pages just in case you dropped them? I
1: haven't. Them? You go first, because I yeah. can't even look at this story. It's annoying me that it's printed double-sided. Do we need to discuss anything else before we start this?
0: Um, I watched Princess Diana in her own words last night. I've watched so it. It's so unspeakably sad. is it? You, where, where did you start crying?
1: Oh, the whole thing. Yeah.
0: Where she realized well, Camilla was. there were was, two of us oh, in the marriage, wasn't there? off Camilla. I want to poke <laughs> her
1: really hard in the eyes. Have you been through in. Okay. For people that haven't watched The Crown, you need to go and watch The Crown because yeah. it's excellent. Yeah. And then you realize all these sneaky things that were happening between Charles and Camilla mm. that are real.
0: Yeah. Have you Googled the bracelet? Yeah. It's all real. It's real. It's all real. You, Diana, in her own words, she t- talks about where she found it.
1: Well, I went into the office and there was a drawing. Yeah. And it was a bracelet. The, what was he doing? Oh. You know how she took. All
0: right. That's maybe Princess oh, just- <laughs> Jonathan. I squarely blame Camilla. Do you? I blame Charles a bit, mm. but I also feel sorry for him because He's he was born into trapped. that fam- dysfunctional family. Yes. I do love and the royal situation. Yes, so do I. But. You know, it's a calling, it's a whatever, there's sacrifices to be made and he didn't choose to be born into that family. So I feel a little Mm. bit sorry for him. But Camilla should have backed off and he should have. I'm not uh, totally blaming her. It's a bit Charles as well. (gasps) He should have also backed off, but Camilla should have. She was married as well. I know. Where was
1: the husband in all of this? I don't know. The heart wants what the heart wants.
0: Yeah. You know? Uh, What else have we got? No, that's done. Oh. gingerbread Gingerbread houses coronavirus the crown that's a reasonable spread of okay banter isn't it for those so. who like the banter there's some people who don't like banter all right
1: I'm, i think those people have left this podcast
0: here is another um one that i wrote a long time ago okay. and so i'm going to be again surprised oh, by what yourself. i've written okay but the reason i've pulled this out of my little folder of stories i prepared is because there's a series running on i think it's stan i don't think it's netflix okay stan which is and i think that may be only an australian streaming service um yes. there's a series on this guy called the night i think it's called the night caller might be just called the night caller because that was what he was known as but this was actually suggested to us a long time ago by a listener called sarah and she Sarah's had probably
1: up. not with us anymore.
0: No, she's gone because we didn't do a story. But yeah, we're doing it now. here it is. So his name is Eric Edgar Cook. Uh, as Sarah said, he he was also known as the Night Caller. And he was a serial killer who operated in her hometown of Perth oh. from 1959 to 1963. But she'd never heard of him. Okay. So I'm guessing Sarah has probably they caught up this with him.
1: keep shit me. quiet, I'm telling you. Yeah, you they d- do. You
0: don't know. Well, Perth's a long way away. And I don't know what their media are like back in the... Early 60s, but anyway. Okay. Eric Edgar Cook was born in... Why am I dribbling? Not sure what's happening. I don't know what's going on. Okay. i am um, just falling apart badly. <laughs> Eric Edgar Cook was born in 1931 in Victoria Park, which is a suburb of Perth in Western Australia. He was the oldest of three children, and Eric's parents only married because his mum, Christine, was pregnant with him. So okay. a shotgun wedding. His dad... Vivian, Sorry? Yep. You heard me. You say it. You say it with your mouth. His dad's name was Vivian, That's right. It's a girl's Viv- name. Is, it, is, is that, it? that French? Vivian. I don't know, but isn't that... Um... Oh, come on. Who's the actor? It's a, it's a cruel... The big cowboy actor. It's a actor. cruel act, isn't it? It is. Hang on. <laughs> to oh, just pop out a boy and The say, most famous... Vivienne. Oh, no. There'd be people screaming at the podcast right now why the most famous cowboy actor in the world vivian cowboy um, will that bring it up um no no vivian oh what's his name uh actor john wayne what john wayne's real this? name is vivian oh no he was marion Marion Robert Morrison is John Wayne's real name. That's even worse. That's more ladylike than Vivian, don't you reckon? Idiot. Vivian. Vivian. Anyway. He was a horrible man. Alcoholic, Mm -hmm. possibly because he'd had a whole life of being tormented because of his... Shit, name. No. Uh, apologies to all the Vivians who are listening. Don't think there's any amongst our nice things. Uh, Vivian was an alcoholic. He beat Eric up and the rest of the family. And Eric would hide under the house or run away to get away from the violence. Mm. He spent a bit of time in orphanages and foster homes. He had been born with a, a hair lip and a cleft oh, yeah. palate, which these days is dealt with really well. You wouldn't even know. Like, you yeah. can surgically, um, you know, repair it. But in those days, the treatments weren't very good. He had one operation when he was three months old and another one when he was three and a half years old. So that left him with this little uh, facial deformity. And also, his speech was affected by it. He mumbled a bit when he spoke. Okay. And probably because of that, he was bullied at school. When he was six, Eric was expelled from Subiaco Primary School for stealing money from a teacher's purse. He was sent to Newcastle Street Infant School, where a whole new bunch of kids made fun of him. He moved school several times, and the same thing would happen to him. So he he left school. This is why you can't. Oh, I need. We needed the bell. <clears throat> I just can you just go? Can we do anything with this tin of mints? No, it's It's a bit shit. Effective. But this is why, see, when you bully people, <laughs> they turn into murderers. We need uh, Christmas jingle bells, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's one of them, isn't it? Mm. Donk on the head, bullying, bed wetting, fire? I'm just throwing oh, in there, fires, it Oh, lighting fires, yeah.
2: There's a lot of those. But bullying.
0: What's the, there's like a group of things they're called something and I've forgotten. Triggers? Well, it's like a combination of things and there's actually, they've got a name for it that if those happen, you know, and if they kill animals, it's like the recipe for a murderer. Um, When he was 14, Eric left school to work as a delivery boy and he would give the money that he earned to his mum. When he was 17, he auditioned for the church choir, but he didn't get in. So Eric Edgar Cook burned down the church and was sent to jail for 18 months. There's a fire. See? Mm. When he got out... And don't do that if you don't get into the choir. Were you in your school choir? Yeah. I was in mine too. I remember the
1: day we all quit. Like we all just went in and quit one day. Why? Because we all decided we hated choir. Oh. Yeah. And then everyone was like, yeah, you just go in and tell her you don't want to do it anymore and you quit. (laughs) And so like one by one, we all went in and we were like, I quit. Oh. So I reckon half the choir quit on one day.
0: Why would you quit choir? I loved it. Are you going to Scarborough Fair?
1: No, because it was so. You had to do it during lunchtime. I do
0: it. Are you ready for it? No, Kirsten told me not to yell, so I can't be loud. I wanted to do the parsley sage rosemary and thyme bit in a big.
1: Why would I want to do that in lunchtime when I could go outside and play? Not at lunchtime. We had to do it in lunchtime. Oh, that's no. Yeah, stinks.
0: Acceptable. Yeah. So we quit. Look how firm and strong I am on issues. When he got out of jail for burning down the church, he began sneaking into houses to Mm. steal and he would wreck stuff while he was there. He'd damage people's clothing and furniture. He'd burn things. Now, police had his fingerprints on file from the uh, church Mm -hmm. and they, they knew that it was him doing all this, so they arrested him. In 1949, when he was 18... Eric Edgar Cook was jailed for three years he got out when he was 21 he joined the army but he only lasted three months in the army because they found out about his criminal record Um, but by this stage he had been taught to handle firearms right So he stole money from a church poor box. He was only given a £50 fine for that. In 1953, when he was 22, Cook married Sarah Levine. She was known as Sally, a 19-year-old waitress. They had seven children, four boys and three girls. The marriage, though, didn't change his ways. And Cook was arrested several times as a peeping Tom. I hate that term. Do you? Well, it makes it sound like something cute, like, oh, I'm peeping.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, true. And it it's does. V-
0: what a violation. How... Oh, it's
1: terrifying. Could you? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, when I'm home alone,
0: I shut all the curtains. Yes. And do you then, like, look at all the cracks to see whether someone could see you? Yeah. In? Yeah. I shut all the... It's
1: my biggest fear is seeing someone standing at a window. Yeah. I would die. Because there's
0: that thing where if you've got the light on inside... I know. They you can... can't see out to... as... Yes. Yes. I hate that. Yeah. Same. Uh, So he was arrested for being a peeping Tom. He ended up in jail for two years for stealing a car. He got out again in 1956 and he got work as a truck driver. But at night, he was still peeping into women's windows and breaking into people's houses. On the 29th of January, 1959, he was out prowling and he saw a 33-year-old woman. I don't know how to pronounce her name, actually. It's P-N-E-N-A. Pnina, Pnina, Pina, maybe the N is silent.
1: Yeah, maybe.
0: Pina Berkman. She was um, in her flat. She woke up when she heard him in her flat and she fought back when he attacked her. Mm -hmm. She scratched his face. But he overpowered her and he stabbed her to death with a diver's knife. So, he wasn't caught for that murder. He laid low for a while, but then he started up again. He started stealing cars and running people down with his car. Oh, what the... His first Fuck. hit and run was on Nell Schneider. She was a 29-year-old mother of four from Amsterdam. She was thrown from her bike and she was left with a fractured skull and permanent brain damage.
1: I think I've told you this. So we've spoken about James Gargasoulis on this podcast before, He, mm. madman who drove through the city running people over. Ever since covering that, whenever I sit at a set of traffic lights in the city, there's so many people that walk through those intersections, I push my foot so hard on the brake. Oh, yeah. Oh. I always just subconsciously do it. Yeah. Because I'm so terrified of my car rolling or doing – like, not that my car is ever going to do that. Can
0: you imagine? I'm so paranoid about it. This is going to sound weird, but I hit someone with my car once. Here we go. But I, hang on. Let me tell you what happened. Righto, so Here we are. Um, story that we didn't know about T life. The most terrifying thing. So I was driving from St Kilda down to Brighton to go to a Stop. gym that I went to. Yes. What year are we in? Um, it's before I was pregnant. I want to say early nineteen nineties. Okay. I was driving a I think a Honda Accord at that mm. stage it was pouring with rain oh, no. I was driving along at the speed limit on the Nepean highway for those not from Melbourne it's a big, big, big five lane yeah. highway I I think I wasn't even – I may have been at traffic lights. In fact, I think I was. I was – yes, now, okay. Coming back. Because everything went in a blur. It was at traffic lights and the lights changed and I had just started. Right. So I was only probably going 20 or 30 k's an hour and then suddenly, bang, (gasps) this young man was like on my windscreen, on my bonnet, on the ground. Did it crack your windscreen? Um can't remember. No, it no. didn't. Okay, yeah. No, I think there was a bit of damage to the bonnet. Mm. He got up and kept running no. and ran off. No. Yes. So, yeah, it was the weirdest thing. So, um, I've, like, stopped. Of course. Terrified. Like, what's happened? It's pouring with rain. And it was next to, there was a car yard and a couple of people came running out of the the car yard and they said, are you okay? And I said, I've just hit someone. I've just hit someone. I said, I didn't even see him. I don't know where he came from. I don't know what happened. Mm. So, they had called the police when they saw it happen. Yeah. And they saw him run off. So, the police actually found him. Oh. He was only fairly young. He was like maybe 17 or 18 or something. And um, I went back home. Police took my details, took a little report from me there. There was no damage to my car, so there was nothing there. Anyway, the police contacted me later and I said, what happens to me? I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't didn't see him. I didn't see him. I don't know what happened, where he came from. And the police said, no, you've got nothing to worry about because what had happened was he had actually robbed a house on the other side of the highway. And had the stolen goods on him. Yeah. And was running from that, running from, you know, stealing. Yeah, running from the crime. So, that's why I didn't see him. He literally, he, so he had ran when the crossing was saying don't right. cross. So, he had run against, you know, effectively a red light a for red, him. And yeah. that's why I didn't see him. And they actually ended up arresting him. And he wasn't badly hurt. Like, it wasn't. This is
1: definitely another story that you should have told us. Sorry. Mm.
2: Mm. It's episode it. 108. Yeah, one hundred and eight episodes. <laughs> one hundred and eight. Well, forget stuff.
0: But um, yeah, yeah. So there you are. Um, mm. but it's a horrible feeling. It is the mo- oh, it a- would be most. Yeah, I yeah. think I've got a feeling I was like sick because mm. I thought I'd hurt him. Yeah. And then it was when he'd run off. It was like oh, it's like a, you know dogs run away when they hurt. I know. Mm. Ah, uh, where are right. But he's deliberately running people down. Okay. okay. Australia Day 1963, things got much, much worse than that, if possible. So Cook was, Cook was uh, prowling the streets at night. He was carrying a rifle mm. that he had stolen the night before from a house in South Perth. 2.40 in the morning, a couple were sitting in their car near the beach in Cottesloe when they saw a man lurking across the road. So the man in the car, Nicholas August, he yelled at the man that they saw to clear off and he threw a beer bottle at cook cook raised the rifle and he shot august and the woman rowena reeves he hit her in the wrist another bullet hit nicholas in the neck so he managed to drive to fremantle hospital for help cook then went to the flat of brian weir a 29 year old accountant I don't think he knew him. It was just a random house he went into. It was so hot that night that um, Brian Weir was sleeping facing the open veranda door. Cook shot him in the head. (gasps) Weir was operated on by brain surgeons for more than six hours, but he was left blind in one eye, unable to speak properly, and he was paralyzed down one side of his body, and then he died two years later as a result of his injuries. The next was 19-year-old John Sturkey, an agricultural science student who was sleeping on the veranda of a boarding house. We used to do that back in those days when it was hot. Uh, Cook shot him in the head. He died instantly. 55-year-old George Walmsley, Cook, by the way, didn't know any of these people. It was completely random. Um, George was a retired grocer. He and his wife and 21-year-old daughter were woken by the doorbell ringing at about 3 in the morning. So George opened the door. Cook shot him between the eyes. He died instantly. Um, And then Cook went home to his family. So police knew that the same gun had been used in all of these attacks, but that was all that they had. Three weeks later, February 1963, he strangled to death a 24-year-old social worker called Constance Madrill. She had been asleep in her flat. He had sex with her dead body. He dragged her corpse out and dumped her in a neighbour's garden with an empty bottle of whis- uh, whiskey. Oh, Six months later, he struck again, August the 10th, 1963. An 18-year-old student, Shirley MacLeod, was killed by a single shot to the head while she was babysitting at Dalkeith. So her body was found still sitting up in a chair and she'd been doing her homework. She was only 18 and the pen she had been using was still in her hand. Mm. So here's how the police caught him. It was about a week after that last murder. An elderly couple were working, uh, sorry, walking on a suburban street in Mount Pleasant and they stopped to pick some flowers and they found a rifle in the bushes. It matched the one used in the murders. So police swapped it for a fake and they waited and they watched for the shooter to come and collect the rifle. So I don't know how long they had to stake out. Oh, no, I do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) See what happens when you pre-write stories so far head.
0: I don't know how long, actually. Well, here it is. Uh, two weeks later, they so for two weeks they watched The Bush. Yep. And then on September the 2nd, Cook rolls up. At first, he tried to deny that the most recent murder – saying that he'd been home that night, but his wife, Sarah, refused to cover for him. So, Cook then confessed Mm. to numerous crimes, 22 violent crimes, 8 murders, 14 attempted murders. He gave details of more than 250 burglaries, and he remembered them all. Wow. He was able to detail exactly what he'd taken, the number and denominations of the coins that he'd stolen from each location, One crime he confessed to was hitting a 16-year-old girl over the head with an iron bar while she was asleep. Uh, She had no idea that it had happened. She thought that she'd fallen out of bed and hit her head while she was asleep. He also confessed to two murders that other men had already been jailed for, and I'll get to those in a moment. Cook was convicted on the charge of murdering John Lindsay Sturkey, who was one of those five Australia Day shooting victims. Yes. He tried to plead insanity. His lawyer said the cook was a living abnormality. The WA Mental Health Services director said he wasn't mentally ill, but instead he had a chronic, long-standing resentment against society. Mm. He thanked the judge. He accepted the verdict calmly. So I think he wanted to be okay. jailed. After three days of evidence, the jury took just an hour to find him guilty. He was sentenced to die by hanging. So about a year later, October the 26, 1964, Eric Edgar Cook was the last man to be hanged in Western Australia. Okay. So just quickly on the two men who were jailed for the crimes that Cook actually committed. In 1959, he melded uh, a Melbourne heiress to the... And so there used to be a brand of chocolates called Robertson's. I don't know if they're still made. Mm. But she was the heiress to the Robertson chocolate empire. Gillian Brewer, she was 22. She was living in an apartment in Cottesloe and he murdered her. Uh, he stabbed her to death with a tomahawk and a pair of scissors. Jesus. And a deaf, this is so sad, a deaf mute by the name of Daryl Beamish was sentenced to death in 1961 for that crime. Oh. So his conviction was quashed in 2005. He had appealed six times. In 2001, he was awarded four hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars from the WA government for his wrongful imprisonment. So hang on, if he was let out, in conviction quashed in 2005, and the murder was in '59, that's most of his life.
1: Jesus, and he only got four hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. It's not
0: enough, is it? The other one, You'd want to add another zero onto her. Absolutely. Uh, the other one was John Button. He served five year, uh, more just over five years in prison for the manslaughter of his girlfriend, Rosemary Anderson, 17, in a hit run. This happened back in 63 when she walked down a Perth road. Cook confessed to her murder. Button's conviction was quashed in 2002. He was awarded $460,000. Um, The reason it took so long for their convictions to be quashed, it it was a 1998 book by journalist Estelle Blackburn called Broken Lived* that had enough evidence for the state government to conduct new appeals for both men. Uh, Sally Cook. That's especially sad because John Button, if she was his girlfriend and he was sent to jail for her murder, like he would have been brokenhearted about losing her anyway. Uh, October 2019, Sarah Sally Cook... Was she the one that thought she'd hit her head on the bedside? Bedside. Yep. I think that was her. Uh, She died at the age of 85. Uh, She was left to raise seven... Oh, no, I beg your pardon. She's his wife. See, this is what happens when you write it. Yes. so his wife died at the age of 85. So she was a victim as well. She was left to raise seven children alone Jesus. after his arrest, and was always left with the stain of his name against hers. And he had told her that he had committed the murder that had been pinned on the other two. So, she, oh, she was the one who came forward about those okay. two murders. Okay. And she supported the efforts to clear their names. Bravo, Sally Cook. Rest in peace. What a horrid, horrid man. Hor- And there's a stack of photos I've just remembered we've got of him, which will go up on our socials.
1: Okay, great. Mm. I'm doing a story that was sent to us by Kelly some time ago, I think, now that she sent this through. Mm -hmm. So we're going to West Philadelphia to a place called the Women's Medical Society, and that's a medical facility that's run by a man called Dr. Kermit Gosnell. I should have checked what year we're in. Is this the episode for
0: Stupid Names? Kermit, seriously, it's a I name. It don't use it on a person. Uh, we're oh. in the 1990s, I think. I don't
1: yeah, read. yeah. So we're like early 1990s, late 80s.
0: He was charged in 2011. Okay, yeah. well, I don't want to look at it anymore. I'll okay, stop looking. Stop, stop
1: looking. stop looking. Stop. Okay, so he grew up in the area, West Philadelphia, and he ran the clinic with two other staff members who were not doctors. Mm. Mm, but that didn't mean they didn't try to act like doctors, making, diagnosing patients, handing out drugs, all of that. There's a new series,
0: podcast series of Doctor Death. Is there? Yeah, about a guy called. Unfortunately, his name's. I think it's Fata. It's unfortunate. <laughs> I know. What's happening I, today? I don't know how the lady doing the story keeps a straight face. But yes, if you listen to oh, the first Doctor Death I series, I did listen to it. Yeah, there's a second one up.
1: Okay. Well, the clinic itself was ghastly. It reeked of animal urine, courtesy of the cats that were allowed to roam around it. Furniture and blankets were blood-stained. Instruments were not properly sterilized. Disposable medical supplies were not disposed of, and they were reused over and over and over again. Medical equipment such as the – I can't say this word. Defibrillator. Thank you. And the um, blood pressure cuff was always broken. And even when they did work, they weren't used. The emergency exit was padlocked shut. So why would anyone go there? The answer is actually quite simple. By day, the Women's Medical Society ran as a prescription factory. So you could go in, say what you wanted to, yes, say, I want this, and you'd leave with a script. Basically, all you
0: needed to do was pay the right price. Can I take a guess at what a lot of the prescriptions were? Yes, I actually know. So please contraceptive pill no because a lot of girls would want it but not want their parents to know that they were taking it no oxycontin what's that for isn't it like a hang on a minute doesn't that make i'm sure i had that when i was in labor well it induces sleepiness no it's used see we're so not drug takers i think that's what they give you when you're in labor I thought it was like
2: a massive painkiller. Yeah, you're spot on curse.
0: It's a
1: massive painkiller. Yes, it
0: is. And they give it to you in your spine. Highly addictive. So Mm. they can deaden you from the waist down when you're Mm. giving birth. So you're conscious and fine and everything, but you can't Mm. feel all the downstairs action.
1: Yep. All the downstairs action. (sighs) So people, it was just a revolving door of people coming in and wanting to get meds. And basically the business was so profitable that – old mate Kermit didn't even turn up sometimes to work. He would just sign every single page of the script book and let his untrained doctors fill out whatever they wanted Mm. and hand it over. What Dr. Gosnell did turn up for was the clinic's nighttime operation. So daytime script factory, nighttime, Abortion Factory. Aha, uh-huh. there we got it. The business model for this was high patient turnover while keeping expenses low. Hmm. At the time, Pennsylvania in Pennsylvania, abortion was legal, but it required health initiatives to go along with it. So basically, you couldn't just walk in and say, I want an abortion. Yeah. You had to get counselling before. You had to wait 24 hours between meeting your doctor and having the procedure hmm. in case you changed your mind. And minors had to be accompanied by a parent. Yeah. But at the Women's Society, none of that was necessary. Because
0: in a lot of cases, you wouldn't want to do it that – not public. I know that's not public, but Mm. – If there was an unwanted pregnancy, it might be, you know, perhaps a girlfriend who'd been with a boyfriend. She didn't want anyone to know or perhaps a woman was having an affair and got pregnant. You know, there was a lot of times they wanted to hide it. So So there
1: were basically no rules. You could walk in, have the procedure done immediately. You didn't need to have a custodian with you. All that actually mattered is if you had the money to pay for the procedure. And because Gosnell had... Gosnell had no rules or procedures, that meant he would often get women turning up who were turned away from other practices because they were too far along. Yeah. Oh, no. Yes. Oh. This is particularly disgusting, this mm. story, so just brace yourself. Most doctors won't perform an abortion late in the second trimester from mm. um, approximately the 20th week of pregnancy because it's just too risky. Mm. And late-term abortions after the 24th week of pregnancy are just illegal. But Dr. Gosnell will ne- would never turn away a woman for being too pregnant, and he saw it as a way of making big money. Oh. However, abortions did require ultrasounds to prove the gestational age prior to the abortion. Because you have to remember, he's actually registered as a proper abortion clinic. Mm-hmm. He's just only doing it at nighttime, and he's dodgy. So you still had to ultrasound women and submit the ultrasounds. So the way he would get around that was he would use the untrained, he would train the untrained staff on how to dodge up the ultrasounds. So he would tell them how to position the ultrasound in a way to make the baby
0: look smaller. Oh, okay. Because they do that little point-to-point measuring thing all the time. Yes. So
1: he would, yes. And if they couldn't, get it done right to make the baby look smaller he would step in and do it again himself to make the babies look smaller so the problem here was that many of these babies were too big to be aborted in the way that proper clinics would do would do an abortion so Gosnell would check in the women and he would give them labor inducing drugs to bring on labor then leave and return hours later as for pain medication, well, he didn't want women to scream during the procedures, so he would instruct his untrained staff to totally sedate them. God. Yeah, horrific. And when I say sedate them, I mean, he was, you know, administering these untrained staff were administering potent drugs with no idea what they were doing. And basically, he set benchmarks. So he would say, oh, with this drug, we give X amount. It wasn't, oh, you weigh this much, so you get this much and yeah. you need this. It was just a set amount.
0: It's. Ter- I'm terrified by that. and I, I, You put such trust into… Um, don't you? …anecetotists, yeah. I know. But look at Michael Jackson. I mean, yeah. that, that was an anaesthetic drug, a, pro- a propofol that, that um, did him in. And if you don't administer it properly mm. that's what happens sometimes. well yeah the doses
1: were just not tailored to the individual patient or their oh, that's needs that's terrifying yep yeah. now the problem with inducing labour when you want to abort a baby is that the baby is born alive oh but Gosnell would take care of that too by murdering them, which he would often do. This is very full on, mm. by severing their spinal cords with scissors. Oh, you're kidding me! No, it's what her-
0: the hell? It's
1: horrific. Over several years, hundreds of babies were killed in this way, and his untrained staff knew it was happening, and it wasn't. If he wasn't around, he'd how do you it. even
0: do that?
1: His how- untrained staff would do it.
0: How do you actually do that to a baby? It's horrific.
1: There was one day of the week that was specifically reserved for women who were well into their pregnancies, and that day was Sunday. On Sundays, Gosnell wouldn't have any of his regular untrained staff in the clinic. He would perform those abortions himself, so-called abortions, with his wife by his side. What we know about those babies is very limited, but we do know that during the week... He was regularly aborting and murdering babies that were around six to seven months. Oh, so, the babies he was no. aborting on Sundays would have been much older than that. But there's not much known about how many babies he murdered on Sundays because he would take all the paperwork home for those. Nothing was left in the clinic for those babies. So,
0: not only was... And the women won't come forward. The women... Correct. Because of the secrecy.
1: So, not only was he a threat to babies, you can just imagine what he was doing to women. When inducing labor didn't work, Gosnell would get hands-on and try to remove the babies himself. At times, this meant he caused catastrophic injuries to women, tearing their organs. One woman, for example, was left lying in place for hours after Gosnell tore her cervix. And her colon while trying to extract the fetus. Relatives who came to pick her up were refused entry into the building. They had to threaten to call police. They eventually found her inside, bleeding and incoherent, and transported her to hospital where doctors had to remove almost half a foot of her intestines. Oh, my God. On another occasion, Gosnell simply sent a patient home after keeping her mother waiting for hours without telling either of them that she still had fetal parts inside her. Gosnell insisted she was fine even after signs of serious infection set in over several days. By the time her mother got her to the emergency room, she was unconscious and near death. A 19-year-old girl was held for several hours after Gosnell punctured her uterus. As a result of the delay, she fell into shock from blood loss and had to undergo a hysterectomy. It goes on and on and on. It's awful. One patient began convulsing during an abortion and she fell off the procedure table. She hit her head on the floor. Gosnell wouldn't call an ambulance and wouldn't let the woman's companion leave the building so that he could call an ambulance. Um, But Gosnell was very careful with one particular type of patient. White women. Why? Mm. Whenever a white woman would come in for an abortion, he would ask his untrained staff to keep him updated and consulted on every single step. The thought was that he was worried that white women who were perhaps more privileged would complain about what would happen. So he was. So he's a racist as well. And specifically taking advantage of young black women um, who were in. yeah, horrendous. Who were vulnerable and who he thought he could yeah. get away with butchering, really. So um, Karnamaya Monga was not one of the privileged patients. She was a 41-year-old refugee from a resettlement camp in Nepal. And when she arrived at the clinic, Gosnell, as usual, was not there. Office workers had her sign various forms that she could not read and then began doping her up. She received repeated, unmonitored, unrecorded intravenous injections of D. Demerol, a sedative um, used in in recent that's not used anymore because it's so dangerous. Gosnor liked it though because it was cheap. After several hours, Mrs. Mongar simply stopped breathing. When employees finally noticed, Gosnor was called in and briefly attempted to give CPR. He couldn't use the defibrillator. Defibrillator. Thank you, because it was broken. Nor did he administer emergency medications that may have restarted her heart. After further crucial delay, paramedics finally arrived, but Miss Monger was brain dead before they were even called. In the meantime, the clinic staff hooked up machinery and rearranged her body to make it look like they had been in the midst of routine of a routine safe abortion. Even then, there may have been a a slim hope of reviving her because the paramedics that got there, they were able to generate a weak pulse. But Mm. because of the cluttered hallways and the padlocked emergency door, it took them over 20 minutes just to figure out how to get her out of the building. Doctors at the hospital managed to keep her heart beating, but they knew that what they were trying they never knew exactly what they were trying to treat because his untrained staff kept lying to them about how much Mm. and what drugs they'd given her Mm. by that point there was no way to restore any neural i can't say that word either neurological thank you activity why can't i talk today
0: Uh, i can't either and i'm dribbling i think i'm getting my period
1: life support was i know life support
0: once a month. Yeah. I've forgotten.
1: usually. That's like. <laughs> life support was removed the next day and she was pronounced dead. So you're probably thinking at this point where is the health department in all of this? Yeah. Mm. Well, the health department had contact with the Women's Medical Society dating back to 1979 when it first issued approval to the then to open the abortion clinic. It did not conduct another site review until 1989, 10 years later. Numerous violations were already apparent, but Gosnell got a pass when he promised to fix them site reviews in 1992 and 1993 also noted various violations but again they failed to ensure that they were corrected Mm -hmm. so what happened after 1993 well in an effort to be pro-abortion pennsylvania department of health decided to stop inspecting abortion clinics as they felt it was an intimidating practice that put up a wall for women seeking abortions there were complaints about gosnell repeatedly several different attorneys representing women injured by Mike Gosnell contacted the department. A doctor from uh, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia hand-delivered a complaint, advising the department that numerous patients he had referred for abortions came back with the same diseases.
0: And I'm going to assume that if people complained about him, that others would assume that they were just anti-abortionists. On well, it's such some a sort polarizing a... issue. It definitely was, is. Yeah.
1: You know. So the medical examiner of Delaware County informed the the uh, department that Gosnell had performed an illegal an illegal abortion on a fourteen year old carrying a thirty week oh. old baby. Oh God! And the department received official notice that a woman named. Karnemaya Mongar had died at Gosnell's hands. Yet not one of these incidents raised alarm bells, not even Miss Mongar's death, and all prompted the department to look at him or the Women's Medical Society. It wasn't until the Women's Medical Society was raided in 2010 for the script... Oh, right, okay. And the news broke that the health department acted. So the raid was carried out by the FBI as a drug trafficking investigation. And District Attorney's Detective James Wood learned from one of the clinic employees that a woman had died there in the year prior following an abortion procedure. Based on that information, Detective Wood believed that the further investigation of the woman's death was warranted. The detective searched for a police report on the incident, but they didn't find any. So they went to the Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office to try and find the identity of the woman and to find more about her death. Mm-hmm. Uh, he learned that that woman was Ms. Monger and that her toxicology report revealed she had an extremely high level of Dermarole, uh in her at the time. The search team discovered fetal remains stored throughout the clinic. They were in bags, milk jugs, oh. orange juice cartons, and even in cat food containers. Mm-hmm. No. Some fetal remains were in a refrigerator. Others were frozen. Gosnell admitted to the detective uh, that at least 10 to 20% of fetuses were probably older than 24 weeks. But there was another organization that could have stopped I actually, this. I actually
0: can't breathe. It's
1: horrible. Uh, that department was is called the Department of State. Uh, the Department of Health regulates facilities and the Department of State, through its Board of Medicine licenses those facilities. Like their colleagues at Health, however, the Department of State officials were repeatedly confronted with evidence about Gosnell and repeatedly chose to do nothing. Indeed, in many ways, the state had more damning information than anyone else on what was going on. But if we can go back to the raid for a second. Mm. In light of the suspicious death of Miss Mongar and the significant health and medical concerns, a DEA agent, Stephen Doggerty, invited personnel from the Pennsylvania Department of State that I just spoke about mm. and the health department to accompany law enforcement officers on the February 18 raid. Mm. So to come again and have a look. No one from these agencies had vin- visited the clinic in more than 15 years even after they the Department of Health had been told about Miss Mongar's death. Yeah. The search team waited outside until Gosnell finally arrived at the clinic around 8.30. When the team members entered the clinic, they were appalled, describing it to a grand jury as filthy, deplorable, disgusting, very unsanitary, very outdated, horrendous, and by far the worst that these investigators had ever experienced or encountered. There was blood on the floor. Oh, God. Oh. A stench of urine filled the air. A flea-infested cat was wandering through the facility at the time and there were faeces scattered throughout. Semi-conscious women scheduled for abortions were moaning in the waiting room or the recovery room where they sat on dirty recliners covered with blood-stained blankets. All the, had been, all the women had been sedated by unlicensed staffed long before Gosnell arrived at the clinic and staff members could not accurately state what medications or dosages they had been administered by while they were waiting Um, and many of the medications given to them were past their expiry dates. They ended up having to call a whole lot of ambulances to take all the women that were in there while the raid was going on to hospital. Almost a decade ago, a former employee of Gosnell presented to the Board of Medicine with a complaint that laid out the whole scope of his operation, the unclean, unsterile conditions, the unlicensed workers, the unsupervised sedation, the underage abortions, and even the overprescribing of pain pills with high resale value on the mm. street. Mm. The, uh... Oh, okay. That would be the other reason. Yeah, correct. Yeah. The department assigned an investigator whose investi- investigation consisted primarily of an off-site interview with Gosnell. The investigator never inspected the facility, questioned oh. other employees or reviewed any records. Department attorneys chose to accept the incomplete investigation and dismiss the complaint as unconfirmed. And that wasn't the only complaint made to the department who failed to act again and again. The National Abortion Federation, the ANAF, is an association for abortion providers that upholds the strictest health and legal standards for its members. Mm. Um After Miss Mongar died, Gosnell bizarrely tried to start applying for... What? Yeah, he he tried to apply to get on, uh, be made a part of that federation. Um, But despite his various efforts to fool one of the evaluators from uh, NAF, she readily noted that records were not properly kept, the risks were not explained to patients, the patients were not monitored, that equipment was not available, and that... um, Pain killing drugs were misused mm. it was the worst abortion clinic she had ever inspected she rejected his application um but she never told anyone about it so she went rejected his knew that this was all going but just never told anyone about the horrible and dangerous things that she'd Holy seen Holy shit and this is the grand jury talking now there's a, a huge grand jury report on the internet about this it's it's a horrible read but it's also mildly fascinating um they said, we think the reason no one acted is because the women in question were poor and of colour, because the victims were infants without identities and because the subject was the political football yeah. of abortion. Yeah. Um, so Gosnell, Linda Williams, Adrian Motton and Steve Massoff were all charged uh, with first degree murder. And uh, there was a whole lot of other people that worked there, untrained staff, that were also charged. Gosnell was given life without the possibility of parole. Linda Williams, who worked there, was given five to ten years for her crimes. And uh, Adrian Motton pleaded guilty to third-degree murder, admitting to cutting the neck of ten babies and to racketeering charges. She was only sentenced to 11 and a half to 23 months. And I'm not sure if that's because wow. she cooperated. Yeah. I'm not sure. It seems quite a light sentence but then there's um there's also a part of this grand jury report is the, uh, oh, price, the price list, list. What, he, what was for he abortion checking? so for non-surgical termination four to eight
0: weeks I wonder what that was with the chemicals some sort of injection yeah that, yeah
1: 625 dollars if you wanted insurance there was a discounted price for cash of 450 dollars oh. um and it goes on and on he literally has babies here listed twenty three to twenty four weeks. Oh. Almost always a three day procedure in brackets. Um, eighteen hundred and fifty dollars or sixteen hundred and twenty five
0: for a cash discount. So I wonder what happened to he he obviously made a lot of money out of that. I yeah. wonder what happened to all the money that he made.
1: And then you could choose what level of sedation you wanted. And how are you supposed to choose that? Yeah. You don't know. For a different price. Local sedation, heavy sedation, twilight sedation or custom sedation
0: which we People know don't, he never offered not... Um, and sorry, but like the example of that 14-year-old girl who was yep. 30, like what's happened there that that poor child is that heavily pregnant at that age? Yeah. What? How is she equipped to make a choice about level of sedation? She's Correct. never heard of that in Correct. her life.
1: And everyone's going to go for custom sedation, aren't
0: they? Oh, You're going to go, no, I want
1: the one tailored to me.
0: Well, I owned a house in with my husband, of course, in Camberwell.
1: The one that was, was broken be... into by the crazy lady?
0: Yes, that one. Yes. And there was a back room that we used as an office. I remember after we bought the house and moved in, someone said, oh, you you live in the abortion house. Oh. And I said, I beg your pardon? And she said, yes, apparently years ago, because a lot of those old uh, Victorian houses in, in Campbell, or, or any suburb really, get bought by doctors and they turn them into rooms, you right. know, where they see people. Apparently the doctor used to do abortions in that room. And after I heard that, i Just never wanted to go in there. And it was kind of a dark back room anywhere. I never liked it. People who live in Melbourne could probably Google where I used to live. I won't give you the name of the house in case the people there don't know about the abortions in the back room. Well that's your bloomin' lot for episode number one oh eight. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Shanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.